Good to see you. Point your neighbor, say, I am glad you're here this morning. Hey, just out of curiosity, they tell me our hotels are full and people from Louisiana. Anyone here from uh, evacuation from the hurricane? Wave your hand at me real high. Anybody? Okay. I was going to buy you lunch, but I, you know. <laughs> I have a big decision to make. I'm going to show you my socks here. Now, you probably can't see, but it's got pictures of my grandchildren on them. Two grandsons, their little faces. My problem now is I have a little granddaughter, and uh, I don't know whether to retire these socks and get all three of them on one or get the princess her own set. What do you think? <laughs> princess her own? All right, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. Birthday's coming up April 24th. <laughs> hey, turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. Good to laugh. The Bible says laughter is, brings joy like a medicine. But I want to talk to you about a serious subject today about our nation. We have been talking about America the last, this will be three weeks, uh, and it's called Return to God America. It is a prophetic type message towards the nation. We all know America's in trouble, and I suggest in the strongest terms, a spiritual revival is the answer. Let me say it again, a spiritual awakening. Revival is when people return to God. It's happened before in America, and my hope and faith is it'll happen again. I, I want to give you a little history lesson before we get into the book of Nehemiah. America has had a number of what's called Great Awakenings. I want to read you a little bit about the second Great Awakening. I bet you didn't learn in school, but it was about Yale University, one of the most prestigious colleges in America. It was founded in 1701 by Congregationalist ministers, and the reason they founded it was because they were unhappy with their growing liberalism at Harvard. Well, Harvard University, arguably the most prestigious uh, university in America today, do you realize this week they unanimously elected a chaplain that's an atheist? Now think about that. They elected a chaplain that's an atheist, and he said he believes that you don't need God to be good. And that's interesting. We could have a whole message on that today. I mean, no, we can all do good things, but we can never be good enough to go to heaven. It's admirable to desire to do good things. The Bible is filled with those exhortations. But something happened to that great institution, and it was not the first time. Uh, when Yale was founded, ministers donated 40 books, and here was the goal of that college, so that young people could be instructed in the arts and sciences, who through the blessing of God would be fit for public employment in the church and the state. Now, if Yale were to say that today, you would have people standing, uh, jumping, shouting, riding, saying, I'm offended by that statement, separation of church and state. We have gone so far from our founder's intention. And here's the sad thing at Yale. After a hundred years, Christianity was almost non-existent and the campus church almost extinct. Here's what I know from experience in the Christian life. We start out in our relationship with God. We find a freshness and newness. Our relationship with God is growing. We're excited about it. But invariably something happens, we peak. And that peak is a defining moment because we'll either keep going towards God or we'll begin to decline like this. And one thing I've found out is a revival is only one generation at a time. 
I came to Christ during the Jesus uh, revolution, the Jesus movement of the 70s. I couldn't give that to my kids. I could teach them about God. I could teach them about the Bible, but I couldn't give them that experience. Well, that's what happened at Yale, but here's the great news. In 1801, they had a revival of biblical Christianity under the president, Timothy Dwight, Jonathan Edwards' grandson in 1801. This this man, the the head of the college, imagine if he did it today, he preached about Jesus Christ for seven years. Nothing happened. But after seven years, revival came, and at least half of the student body was converted to Christianity. Well, how many know when people convert to Christianity, they change? How many know if you're a a wife beater, if you're uh, uh, violence in your home, how many know you'll stop that? You'll stop beating your kids and you'll treat your wife right. You'll treat her with honor and dignity and respect. People change when God revives their heart. Um, uh, It it was almost, it was so cool. uh, um, A uh, tutor wrote home and said, mom, Yale College is like a little temple or little church. Prayer and praise uh, can be seen to the delight of the greater part of the students. In other words, more than half the college campus got saved, and that was a revival. It was a return to God. Uh, Charles Finney, if you've ever heard of Charles Finney, he was a great revivalist in the Second Great Awakening. Listen to what he said. He said he believed the gospel didn't just get people saved, but it also became a means of cleaning up society. And how many can say American society is broken today? I can tell you something's broken when the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and other channels are pushing sexual immorality on young, innocent children. What, you, what, what, what little five-year-old needs to learn, come on now, about sex? It's just like being force-fed. But guess what? If the same people that produce and finance it, if they come to Jesus and have a radical conversion to Christ, guess what? They'll quit doing that. You, you think people that are, that are modeling today in pornographic magazines and things like that, if they have a vital relationship to Jesus Christ, they'll recognize that the body is sacred and holy. And that sexual union is reserved for husband and wife. It's like when people come to Jesus, change happens. Um, and then Whitney said, uh, um, Charles Finney said this. He said he and his followers worked to make the United States a Christian nation. Well, now, if you said that today, you would be mocked and scorned and talked about Christian nationalism and extreme right-wingism. But what they were simply doing is trying to get people to heaven. And have me know that's what we're looking for today. I'm not interested in governing the nation. I'm interested in as many people coming to Jesus Christ as possible. I'm interested in populating heaven, come on now, and depopulating hell, making it hard to go to hell from Texarkana, USA. Now, this is pretty amazing to me. Did you know that Finney encouraged Christians to become involved in the anti-slavery movement? You see, last year was big racial upheaval, and the only things we were told to do was, you know, uh, knock down statues, and and we don't want to remember the past and and reparations, and, and that's the way we dealt with it. But you know the Christians in the early stage were the ones that got rid of slavery? Well, how many know if Christianity did it once, it can get rid of racism again? Yeah. See, this is the solution. Christians became leaders in social concerns like education, prison reform, uh, women's rights. Uh, The large number of Christian workers for social reform became so influential that they became known as the benevolent empire. In other words, Protestant Christianity grew to such a degree that they were, uh, look at the hospitals. 
You know that most hospitals you go to in America today, a Baptist hospital, a Methodist hospital, a Catholic hospital, uh, well, guess what? These are, these, that's because Christians realize that they're supposed to bring their Christianity in the community and bring the love of God abroad to people that don't have it. I mean, no, that's what they were about then. That's what we should be about today. So when we talk of revival, when people turn away from God, a revival can turn them back to God. My daughter-in-law gave me this quote. She said, revival is like waking up from sleep. It's a new beginning of obedience to God. And that, friend, is what America needs today. We need to have a reawakening in terms of our relationship with God. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a good praise today. Now, today what we're going to do in this part three, we're going to look at the life of one man, Nehemiah. And I'm going to teach you that one person can make a difference in calling a nation to God. And what I want you to do, I want to personalize this today. I don't want you to just uh, hear words of a historical narrative today. I, I want to try to convince you that if you're a baseball coach, you can influence that baseball team. If you're a teacher, you can influence your class. If you're a business owner, you can influence the people that work for you. If you're an employee at Cooper Tire, you can influence the other employees. All of us have a sphere of influence. If you're a high school or college student today, you can influence your classroom, and we can follow the steps of Nehemiah. So very practical. We're going to learn a lot today. But uh, let me, if you're in your Bibles now, Nehemiah chapter 1. The book of Nehemiah and Ezra, their contemporaries, it covers about a 110-year period. So it's a long time, and how many know in 110 years, you can have a lot of these? You remember last week in Daniel, we learned from Jeremiah's prophecy, you remember that? That 70 years Israel would be in captivity. That happened because of their sin. They were pushed, but they, they rejected God, and God sent them into Babylon. But then in Babylon, they had a revival. They started coming back to God, and Daniel realized that God is going to send the nation back in 70 years. Well, now today, as we're reading the story, part of, uh, part of the Jews have already gotten back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the church. They rebuilt the temple. But guess what happened? Then they started doing that. And what we're going to see today is Nehemiah is going to help them do that. And that's what we're going to learn today. Nehemiah chapter 1, Hanani came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who'd returned there from captivity and how things were going. And they said to me, say it with me. All right, we're going to try that one more time. Whenever I touch my ear, it doesn't mean that my ear is itching. That means I want you to say what's on the screen, okay? So they said, yeah, things are not going well. How many can say things are not going well in America? Yeah, things were not going well. They're in great trouble and disgrace. Now, mind you, it, it's the temple has been rebuilt, but the wall around the city of Jerusalem, that wall is there for protection. It's torn down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. So it's a picture of discouragement. It, it's a deeper problem than just physical walls. The people started building and they quit. They got discouraged. They felt like God didn't care. And as we'll see later in the passage, there, there was a spiritual decline among them as well. So now here's verse 4, and this is where application comes to us. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How does what's going on in America affect you? Every day, it seems like, certainly every week, there is an outrageous shooting in America. 
This week, a vacationer is from Colorado, a young couple, went to, call, went to Florida. Uh, he's there with his little two-year-old son. Uh, they're in a restaurant at night. And this guy walks in. Uh, they're different races. This guy walks in, and uh, he's supposedly high on mushrooms. He's going to shoot the little baby. The dad says, no, don't shoot my child. He turns and shoots him four or five times and then dances around the body. And I listen to that. And then I, 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 I look at what's happening in Afghanistan arguably one of the first in America's history. I, I, I'm watching the news and I'm wondering what this hurricane is going to be like that will strike America the same day Katrina struck. And you remember what havoc that wrought. But this one is said to be the strongest hurricane in uh, over 100 years, since 1850. I look at that. And then I look at COVID. And as I've said to you, I believe all these are evidences that God has taken his hand of blessing off our nation. That's my opinion. As a pastor, the one who prays, who tries to evaluate, I don't think the problem with the hurricanes are man-made global warming. Uh, but I think God's involved in all these things. And this, every one of us in here probably knows 10 or 12 people that have been infected with COVID. Every one of us are wondering, are we going to have to lock down again? Is our economy going to shut down? What's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen when 100,000 Afghan refugees, many of which were, were, were uh, uh, saying death to America, and they just show up in America now, we have terrorist cells in our nation once again. When I see these things, I've got to be honest with you. I want the heart that Daniel had. I want to weep over my nation. I want to mourn. I want to fast. I want to pray. Here's what I tend to do. I get mad. I read about the headlines in the, you know, the newspaper. I wake up I, before I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I probably shouldn't do this, but I get out of bed. I want to see what's going on in the world. And time I get out, I get on my knees and ask God to help us, but I'm already angry. It, it, it's like I look at people and I say, what are you doing? Don't you understand you're destroying America? Don't you understand you're destroying the greatest economic engine in the history of the world? Nine months ago, we were energy independent. Half the, half the oil, uh, is, I, th I think half, more oil is going to stop from flowing in America from this hurricane than was from Katrina. So what does that mean? Gas prices are going up more. Anything that has to do with gas. And all these things are happening, and we can either get mad, point our finger towards Washington, or we can do what Daniel did. We can spend some time on our knees and saying, God, our nation needs you. This is the great answer, the great solution that ties all these problems together. And no one person can be blamed. Listen, we are Christians first, but I'm an American second, and America is sick. And America needs millions of Christians to do like I'm doing right now in their hearts and begin to bow before God and say, God, would you help us? We have sinned. We need a spiritual return. We need a spiritual awakening in America. Lord, let it start with me and my circle. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Look at verse 5. This is how Nehemiah prayed. And, and there's a lot to learn in this prayer. Uh, oh. Nehemiah said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God, you keep your covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey you. In other words, when you pray about America's problems, don't just say, Oh God, I don't want to go back in lockdown and I don't want to wear a mask. Go to God and say, God, you're bigger than COVID. Yeah. God, you can stop that hurricane. You can keep it in the Gulf. 
Lord, you're all powerful. You created the earth. You're the sustainer of heaven and earth. You're the giver of good things, the giver of life. You loved us so much. You gave your only son, Jesus Christ. That's the positioning in prayer. But I want you to see what the first thing he prayed. Listen to my prayer. Say it with me. I, I confess that we have sinned against you. If you were here last week, we talked about Daniel. Didn't Daniel do the exact same thing and pray the exact prayer? Lord, it's our sin that has caused this. Even my own family and I have sinned. Please remember what you, and now that his prayer shifts. Remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter you. Look at verse 9. But if you return to me, what is that? That's revival. If you return to me and obey my commands, even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen for your name to be honored. This, my friend, is, is how you pray. It's extolling the Lord first. It is a confession of God's greatness. It is a confession of sin. And it is appeal, an appeal to God for his mercy. And I wonder if we might just take a moment right now in this service and pray for America right now, just like, uh, just like Nehemiah did. I'm going to get on my knees. You can pray however you want to, but we're going to take a couple minutes, and I want us to pray just like Nehemiah did. If you're, if you're watching online, let me encourage you, slip off your couch, out of your bed, get on your knees with me, and let's do it as an act of humility, as an act of dependence, as an act of contrition. And we simply want to begin our prayer today by saying, Lord Jesus, we believe that you are God. We believe in the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth, and the sustainer of life. God, we know and believe and have been taught in the word of God that you're a good God. But Lord, we just confess our sins now. Come on, just do this with me now. Say it, say it Lord, we confess our sins. Those things that the world may have taught us is okay, but you've said is wrong. We confess our sins to you. And we humbly ask you to forgive us first as Christian people. Lord, if we have sinned, if we have been unfaithful to our spouse, if we have been violent towards our family, if we have been lazy and unwilling to provide for those that we care about, Lord, if we have spoken evil of another Christian, Lord, if we have treated someone badly because of the color of their skin, if we've made jokes about people's race and all these things that are against loving your neighbor as yourself, we acknowledge them as a sin, God, and humbly ask you to forgive us. But God, we want to ask you to forgive some of the horror in our nation today. As we look at our children, come on, turn your hearts to the children now. Lord, there was a time when children were taught the Bible as the Word of God. They, they were taught to read by being books that used the Bible. But that was banned and that was changed in America. We ask you to forgive us, Lord. Even though the founder of public schools says the Bible should be read in all public schools, Lord, we've taken your Word out of our schools. We've taken your commandments off the walls of our children and replaced them with metal detectors and policemen. God, we ask you to forgive us for this. God, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, for so pushing and allowing drugs, Lord, and so many people to become alcoholics in America. God, we ask you today to forgive us, God, because our, our, our morality, God, particularly our sexual morality, is more like the world, and it's more like the world of Sodom when it was judged than it is like the precious thing that you have portrayed as between a man and a woman. God, forgive us. Forgive us if we watch pornography. The greatest, it is the greatest industry on the internet, pornography. Lord, all these things happen. And then there's the innocent blood of children. Some 60 million children that have not breathed the first breath in the name of choice. 
God, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, for all these things, whether our, our hand was the first uh, hand to touch it or whether we were just kind of there. We want to ask you to cover and forgive the sins of America. Lord, we just declare today, and I want you to say this with me. God, you're a merciful God. You're a merciful God. You're a gracious God. You're a kind God that will forgive us. And we'd ask you, Holy Spirit, forgive us and give us another chance in America. Send a revival, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody, amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. All right, let's keep going. Verse 11. Now, I want you to see that not only did he pray, but he acted. Can you say that with me? Pray and act. He prayed and he acted. Verse 11. Now, he is what's called the king's cupbearer, which means he tests the wine uh, and the drink, perhaps the food, before the king eats it. How many would say that's a pretty good job? How would, you, how would you like to be able to taste wine all day for the king? <laughs> Some of you, I know this is church, but you can be honest in church. How many would like to eat great food three times a day? Yeah. Think of your favorite, what's your favorite restaurant? Outback. Outback is your favorite restaurant. Okay, well, how would you like to eat Outback steak three times a day? And I'm not talking about the old thick fatty one. I'm talking about that queen cut filet Come on now, that's got something on top of it that makes it even a little better and it's so you don't even need a knife, cut it with your fork. Well, that's what Nehemiah was doing. That was his job, but Nehemiah said, there's something more important than me having fun. Now look at this now. He said this, verse 11, he said, Lord, give me success today and make the king favorable. And the king says, well, how can I help you? And he said, if it please the king, send me to Judah to rebuild the city. Now, they didn't even have a McDonald's on the corner in, in Jerusalem, okay? He's leaving out back. He's leaving everything. But, but listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Do something significant with your life. Don't waste your life living it all for yourself, having fun, getting money, doing nice things. Do something for the kingdom of God that will matter for all eternity. Because one day, friends, and it could be quicker than you imagine, you and I are going to be standing before God, and he's going to say, what did you do with the life that I give you? I don't know about you, but I want to stand before the Lord and say, I did something for the kingdom of God. I brought people to Christ. I helped people. I took care of poor people. I did something that made a difference in the world. Well, that's what Nehemiah did. Uh, but what I want you to see is all of us have been put in position to do something for God. If you're a Christian, I'm going to make this assumption. Before you bought your house, you prayed, Lord, do you want me to live here? Before you took the job, you said, Lord, is this where you want me to work? Before you moved to Texarkana, whatever the case may be. And that being said, don't you know that God wants you in his will more than we want to be in it? Yeah. And if we, when you submitted your life to God, you put yourself in a position of influence. And I want to tell you this today. Every person in this room has the potential to be influential, influential for Christ. I don't care if you're, if you're a, a, pres, a president of Yale University or you're an employee at Cooper Tower. How many know you have a circle of influence? The people on your street, the people in your neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood, and, and uh, my wife and I found it. It's really pretty, some little, about 10 acres out in Redwater, beautiful little place. But, and I, and uh, I, I get upset sometimes because I have to drive down a road, and it's a lot of neighbors, and people don't pay to get the road fixed. And I was griping to the Lord one day in my prayer time. You don't ever do that, do you? And I, I felt the Lord say, I put you on this road because I wanted you to help these people. 
And, one, and every Easter, I'd go by to all my neighbors and give them a card and invite them to church. And uh, w- one of those guys, we were just in the home in the yard working one day. His name was Tim. And he came up to me that day and he said, Preacher, I need to leave, get my life right with God. Would you pray for me? And I said, well, I'd just be honored. And right there in our, in our driveway with me sweating, working in the garden, uh, Linnell and I prayed with this man and he committed his life to Christ. And he died a couple days later. I want to tell you, wherever you are, if you're a coach of a baseball team, if you're the mom that makes the brownies for the soccer girls, you have a place of influence. You say, well, Pastor, what can I do? I just make the brownies. I tell you what you can do. You can make the brownies. You can get their little drink and you can say, now girls, before we're going to pray, we're going to thank God that God let us have this food and let us have fun today. Bow your head, girls, and then you become the spiritual voice on that team. I'm telling you, friends, here's something that you and I, I don't know that we grasp yet. People are afraid in the world. People are struggling right now. They are scared to death. Listen, it's hard enough to face the crises in America without, with God. Imagine how hard it is to face it without God. These people don't know where to find peace. They don't know what the future is going to hold. They think everybody's going to be wearing a mask. We're going to be shut down again. We're going to have to die from COVID. Now they're going to have to get the COVID booster shot. Listen, they're troubled right now, friends. The world is ripe for God. The world is ripe for people to be able to reach out to them just like Nehemiah is doing. And that's what Nehemiah did. He put himself out there. Now, uh, let's go to chapter 2. I want to tell you something. It's true, but it's not great news. Everyone who will call people to return to God is going to face opposition. What I mean by that? You try to serve the Lord and you try to help people, the devil is going to be there in your pathway. Look at what happened in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. There were two men. They were both governors of the region, Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. The Bible says they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Now, I want you to see these men were governors, but they were also on assignment from Satan to stop the man of God or stop the woman of God. And I can tell you this from 45 years experience in Christian ministry, when I try to do something of significance for God, Satan is right there to try to stop it. Because listen to what these guys did. If you read the, chapter, the chapters, they made fun of them. They tried to fight them. They caused confusion. They lied about them. They set traps. They lied to the government about them. They prophesied against them. They tried to make them afraid. All in the name of stopping the move of God. Friends, we forget sometimes that we're in a spiritual battle. We're, we're, we're in a battle for the souls of men and women. But let me tell you what Nehemiah, how he responded to this. And this is going to help you. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 9. Our enemies were trying to scare us, thinking they'll get too weak to work and the wall won't be finished. See, they wanted to stop the work of God. But notice what Nehemiah did. The Bible says, I prayed, what? God make me strong. So whenever you feel opposition, it could be financial opposition against your business. Whenever you feel opposition against what God is trying to do in and through your life, you pray that prayer. God, make me strong. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And listen, this great scripture, 1 John 4, 4. My dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil is in the world. And listen, opposition might come to you. You may be a a high school or college student, and you may have the guts to stand up in class. Remember that movie, God's Not Dead? 
Yeah, you may have the guts to stand up in class and say that you believe that God created the world. And kids might laugh at you. The teacher might mock you. Don't back down, friend. You just study and you get yourself, you get yourself rooted deeper. And you find some intelligent Christian apologetics who can talk to you about creationism and how it is logical, how it, it makes sense. It makes more sense than the universe created itself or the universe is self-existing or some unexplained Big Bang. I'll tell you where the Big Bang came from. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. And God's word still being fulfilled. The universe is still expanding at the speed, I believe, of light today because of Genesis 1-1. Don't back down, friends. You have courage. Come on, because God is with you. Somebody give the Lord some praise today. Here's the next point. If we step out to call people to return to God, people will follow. Now, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Nehemiah now is in Jerusalem. He's left Persia. He's in Jerusalem. He rides around one night, and he sees the walls are broken down. The gates are burned. He sees the condition of the city is not too good. And then he goes to the leaders and says this, You know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem, America, is in ruins. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And what did they reply? They replied, Come on, say it again. Yes, because it's in the heart of people. People want to be right with God. Deep down, even the atheist, the agnostic, wants to believe there is a good God, a loving God, that there is a place called heaven, that when mama dies, I can see her again. Everybody deep down wants to believe this. They just need somebody to follow. And I want to tell you this, friends. People are looking for someone to follow. You don't believe me? How many when you were in your wild when you were in your wild days and said, I'm going to the beer store and get some beer, who wants to go? How many know you had a car full? Okay. You said, I'm going to get a bag. Who wants to go with me? And the car is full. Now yeah, we're being just a little honest today, okay. You can either lead people to God or away from God. That's just the fact because people will follow. And I'm telling you, people are scared today. They're looking for someone to provide a sense to help them find peace, to help them find hope, to help them find lasting happiness. And I'm telling you, friends, that's found in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. People will follow when you call them to return to God. Now, let me give you this next point. We need to learn from our past mistakes. And here's the big thing. And I'm speaking to the Christians this morning. We need to renew our commitment to follow God regularly. Because here's what happens. We come to God and life begins to go great. The Lord is moving. I got saved in the 1970s. I've been, I've been a Christian 45 years. I got saved in the 70s during what was called the Jesus movement that swept America. And uh, it was revolutionary. It was changing lives. But guess what? After a while, it levels out. And then you know what happens, just like Yale University. After a while, it begins to drop down. And this is what happens. Christians need to remind ourselves before we drop off, we need to remind ourselves when we're here that we need to keep going here because it's better following God. Now, let me read you something that's very thought-provoking. It's from Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. 
And what's happened now, we've jumped ahead and they built the wall around the city and they've got the gates up and now they're ready to have a party. What they're going to do is it's actually called the Feast of Tabernacles, which means it's a big party for seven days. They're celebrating what God has done. But now here's what I want you to hear. On the eighth day, something was different. On the eighth day, they had what was called a solemn assembly. Now think of these people. Everything is great with God. God's answered their prayer. They're excited about God. But now listen to what they do. They assemble again, and this time they fasted and dressed in burlap and put dust on their heads. Now you can go outside a church today and find some dirt and put it in your hair. It won't do anything spiritually, okay? But what it was is it was an outward sign of that they had contrition in their heart. It was an outward sign of repentance. It was an outward sign of remorse over sin. And they realized that it's like the lights came on. How many know sometimes you can get blinded? See, when you're up here at this point, and, and maybe you're thinking, man, I sure used to feel good when we used to, you know, go buy a bag and, I mean, let's go try it again. Let's go, and we feel better. Heck, we're stressed right now. We just need some relief. And what you don't think about is you don't think about when you were smoking every day, because rarely do you just smoke once a week. Come on now. When you were smoking every day, uh, how you got arrested, uh, how you getting drug tested and lose your job, you don't think about the fact that uh, 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 the, the platform you've built for your life of respect in the community could all go down the toilet. You don't think about bad things that almost happened to you or did happen to you. It's like the devil just, just makes everything's going to look pretty and beautiful. It's like if you're going to get sick, get sick in Arkansas so you can go to the medical dispensary. You understand? It's like this is the world we live in and we forget what happens on the downside. We forget what it's like to wake up the next morning and not remember where you parked your car. We forget what it's like because our head is pounding so much and there's vomit all around. We forget that. But I want to tell you, friends, it's good to think back sometimes of what sin did to you. Verse 2 says the, Israelite, the Israelites separated themselves from their foreigners. And listen here again. They confessed their sins, sins and the sins of their, of their ancestors. Why in the world do they keep focusing on it? I'll tell you why. Because you need to remember where you were. You need to remember what sin did for you. Come on now. You need to remember what it was like when you were sleeping around. How there were a lot of problems and everything wasn't great. You remember the shots and the medical, the, 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 the pills you had to take. You remember the fact that somebody got pregnant. You remember the fact that you got beat up. We forget all those things. We remembered the sins of the past. And they remained standing. Now listen to this, verse 3. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law, probably the book of Deuteronomy, was read aloud to them. And then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and they worshiped the Lord. Now, if I advertise next week we're going to have a six-hour church service, how many would come? Wave your hand at me. <laughs> I don't know. My wife didn't even raise her hand. Oh, you did? And I'm, not, and I'm not saying you have to have a six-hour church service, but here's what I'm saying. Their hearts had been gripped by God. 
And nothing was more important in their life with God. And it was just like they were like an, a baby that can't get enough food to eat. A, a hungry man that's thirsty for the word of God. And it was like vivid to them what sin had done. And what they said is, we don't want to do that anymore. We don't even want to live here. We want to go back up there. We want to be closer and closer to God. Uh, our ancestors were proud and stubborn. They paid no attention to your commands. But now listen to this. Here's the cool part. God, you're a God of forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and slow to anger, and rich in unfailing love. Who can say praise the Lord for that? Aren't you, aren't you glad that God doesn't have a flash water to swatch you every time you mess up? But he is a father. Now look at what, what they said, verse 32. And now, God, don't let all the hardships we've suffered seem insignificant. Great trouble has come upon us. Every time you punished us, you were being just because we sinned. And you gave us what we deserved. But now today, this, listen to this, we're slaves in the land of plenty given to us by our ancestors. In other words, we're back in Jerusalem. We got our temple. We got our wall built around us. But we don't have much food to eat. We don't have much land and territory. Uh, we're slaves to somebody else. We've got government mandates controlling everything we do. We've got to pay taxes to somebody else. And the people said this. They said, in view of all this, we're making a solemn promise. We're going to put it in writing. And they promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord. And that's what I want to encourage you and I to do regularly in our life. We need to renew that time with God. I am committed to the Lord Jesus, but I want to renew myself. Come on now. I'm going to be a Bible reader. I'm going to be involved in church. I'm going to be involved in the Lord's work. I'm going to do my best to live by the commandments of the Lord and teach them to my children and reach people around me for Christ. And if I ever fall like I do and like you do, I'm going, to, oh my, I'm going to get up and say, God, I was wrong. I need your mercy and grace. Give me another chance. Come on. And the loving arms of your father reach out to you and say, come on, son. Come on, daughter. We're getting back on track again. Come on, give him a good hand today. Now, let me close with this, a little bit more about history. I've been trying to tell you all morning long that one person can make a difference in calling a nation to return to God. I tried to make you believe that no matter what you do, because sadly, many of us feel insignificant. Maybe if you have the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home grandma, you say, well, what, I, what can I do for God? Well, maybe it's that little boy, that little girl that you're raising to know the Lord. Maybe you're going to be just like Lois and Eunice, Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother. All of us can make a difference in the world for God. I want to read you a little story. How many have heard of Billy Graham? Yeah, look around. Real high. If you've heard Billy Graham, every service, two th at least two-thirds of us. You, do you know Billy Graham preached to more people than anyone in the history of the world? The best recorded date I could found, 2.2 billion people either heard him in person or radio or television talk about the love of Jesus Christ. That's about one in three people in the world today. I want to put a picture up, and I want you to see something about how one person can make a difference. Billy Graham is on the right hand. He died at 99 in 2018. He lived almost 100 years. But I wonder if you've ever heard of Edward Kimball, Dwight L. Moody, Wilbur Chapman, Billy Sunday, or Mordecai Ham. We've heard of Billy Graham, but let me tell you how he got converted. It's interesting that the story begins in a Sunday school class, in a powerhouse class, with a guy teaching teenagers 
and a shoe store. Edward Kimball, on the left, was a Sunday school teacher. He sought to win his class to the Lord. One young man didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he's stocking shelves and confronted him with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was simply putting black shoes with black ones, elevens with elevens, women's shoes here and men's shoes there, and that's all he was doing with his life. But one guy saw something in him. That's no different than you seeing something in a neighborhood kid, no different than you seeing something in a kid on the football field. Well, he went to him, and lo and behold, Moody received Christ and in Moody's lifetime, he touched two continents for God with thousands of people professing Christ. Under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God. His name was Wilbur Chapman. Chaplin, Chapman also became an evangelist. He preached to thousands. And then one day, a professional ball player attended one of Chaplin's meetings, and Billy Sunday was converted. Billy Sunday was so touched by Jesus Christ that he, uh, he gave up baseball and he became part of Chapman's team and later began his own evangelistic crusades. A young man was converted by Sunday whose name was Mordecai Ham. And this guy became an evangelist. And he started telling people about Christ. He preached a service in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there was a young man in high school went to hear him preach. Now think about it. 16, 17 years old, sandy brown hair. He actually said he was going to go because somebody promised to disrupt the meeting and make a big joke out of it. So he said, I'll go just to see. He went the first night and was so intrigued, he came back again. And he responded to the invitation that night. And that night, Billy Graham was converted. He became an evangelist to preach to more people than any other person who ever lived. So what am I trying to tell you today? One person can make a difference in helping a nation return to God. That one person for Billy Graham started out in a powerhouse class, a kid's own class, and then he went to the place where the kid was working at Payless Shoes and had a little conversation with him, and the rest is history. I want to tell you, friends, God's no respecter of persons. Billy Graham's conversion changed the world. A Yale University revival happened because a college president had the guts to start telling people about Jesus. It can happen again, friends, if people like you and people like me will just begin to, number one, live the life, and number two, open our mouths and be an influence to call our nation to return to God. Come on, somebody give the Lord a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and I'd like to have a closing prayer with you. And uh, before you, you put butter on that Cracker Barrel biscuit, I want to ask you a question today. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. What did the Holy Spirit say to you today? And I don't mean that you heard a loud voice but I mean, what thoughts filled your mind today that could have been God? What impressions did you have? What did you feel led to do? What person came to your mind today that you should maybe talk to or reach out to? Because you see, the Bible tells us not just to be a hearer of the Word of God, but to be what? A doer. So I want to commission you today to be a doer. 
and turning this nation back to God. Now, I'm not saying we're going back to Mayberry, but what I am saying, if little circles of influence start coming to Christ, if neighborhoods, if ball teams, if the captain of the football team at you pick it, Pleasant Grove or Texas High becomes an on-fire Christian, if the head of the cheerleaders becomes an on-fire Christian, if the best player in the band becomes an on-fire Christian, it's going to spill around like wildfire. How many would like to be a part of that? How many would like to see a part of another Jesus movement in our day? Man, I would. Can, can we just ask the Lord to come to us and use us? Let's, let's, let's pray this together. I want you to just close your eyes in prayer for just a moment. And the reason we do that is you're not looking for something mystical. You shut your neighbors out so you're not aware of them. But just close your eyes and slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, use me. I'm going to just say it out loud. Say it where you can hear it. Lord, use me. Use me, God, in this world. I see the world is troubled. And I want to ask you to give me a heart of compassion for people. Forgive me that I've just been mad. Forgive me that I've just been pointing fingers and Republicans and Democrats and presidents and generals and, and everything else. Forgive me for that, Lord. Help me get the burden of the Lord and start praying that you would move on the hearts of men and women around me. And Lord, let me have the courage to get out and say something. Let me have the courage to get up and do something. Don't let me be a passive Christian anymore. Don't let me be somebody standing on the sidelines. Lord, there was absolutely nobody that was trying to push that man, uh, that first man that was in the, 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 to go to the shoe store. He didn't have to go see that kid. All he had to do was fulfill his duty. But God led him to go to that shoe store. And that young man received Christ. And if it happened once, it can happen again. So, Lord, I want to pray right now the Holy Spirit would anoint us, that this is not a work in our flesh, but the Spirit of God would come on us with power and conviction and might. And Lord Jesus, we might make a difference in our nation because we love America and we love people. We don't care if they're black, white, uh, yellow. What? It doesn't matter to us. We love people. And we want more people to go to heaven and less people to go to hell. We want people to come and know their Savior. And we'd be privileged if you'd use us. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. I love you. Thanks for coming. Pastor Cole's going to close. And Lord willing, we'll do it again next week. Amen. That was a great message today, wasn't it? You know, America is in desperate need for revival. And one thing that I know is it starts with us. It starts with his church. It starts with our hearts. And it's very, very easy to get to a point where you're kind of lulled to sleep, right? Or maybe you, you quit taking Christianity and our faith and all these things as seriously as we should. And, and listen, I, I, I kind of feel just a, a tug on my heart this morning that there are people here that you've been chasing after every desire and everything that you've wanted, all your dreams, your aspirations, and, and you're in a place right now where you're realizing that it doesn't satisfy you the way that you thought that it would. And I need to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy those deeper needs of your soul. You know, Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man come to the Father except through Him, that you have to make a conscious decision to follow Him. And it's not just about going to a church service, and it's not just about repeating a prayer, but it's about surrendering your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.
And so this morning, what I want to do, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. We would love to pray for you uh, for any need that you may have. But I'm going to stand right over here by the cross. And if you know today is the day that you need to fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to make that decision to live for Him, I'd be honored to pray with you. I'd love to come and join me. Don't leave here without making that decision. But for everyone else, let's worship for another song and then make sure to stop by the tables and check out the life groups and ministries on your way out this morning. God bless.